Welcome to Light Church. We're so glad you could join us for this weekly message. We hope this message leaves you feeling inspired and equipped to be all that you were made to be. Hey, welcome to Light Church this morning. Welcome to our virtual gathering. However you found us this morning, whether you're here for the first time or the hundredth time, it's so good to be with you. And uh, I just want you to know if this is your first time this morning, you are so welcome. You are amongst family and we'd love to connect with you. But if you are tuning in for the, the last couple of weeks, you will know that we've been in a series called Essentials. And today we are in week three of Essentials. Essentials is a series looking at the key, fundamental, non-negotiable core beliefs of the Christian faith. So we began in week one looking at who is God, looking at God's attributes. We looked last week at who is Jesus, and today we're going to look at salvation. We hear this term uh, thrown around quite a bit, and to be saved, what does that mean? What does it look like? So we're going to dig into that today. So I'm excited for this series. I think it's so important to be people that know the essential things. I wonder what this idea of essential has looked like in your life. And as I kind of thought this through, as I was thinking about this message in this series, it reminded me of something I used to do when I was a little bit younger. When I was, say, 10, 11, or 12 or so, me and my friend Josh, we'd often sleep over at each other's houses. And we did it quite often, and we got down to the place, so when we would pack our bags, we learned to pack only the bare essentials. So whatever you're thinking in your mind are the bare essentials, like, shrink them down. Because we got it down to a fine art where we had a sandwich bag with a pair of socks, some boxers, and a toothbrush. And that was literally it. We went with the clothes we were wearing. And any time we had a sleepover, we'd have our sandwich bags. And it was kind of like a thing we did. And our parents used to be like, what is going on? And my mom still brings it with me today. Do you remember when you did that as a kid? And to us, it was just normal. It was the bare essentials. But it's kind of funny when it comes to packing, isn't it? Because there was something I realized recently is that me and Holly definitely see the idea of taking or packing the bare essentials very differently. Now, if we were going away on, I don't know, a couple days away or a weekend away, you would maybe see me go out to the car with maybe a rucksack. So I'd take a rucksack and it'd have everything I'd need in it and that would be it. You'd see me putting my rucksack in the boot and then waiting for Holly to come down the stairs with this giant like rolling suitcase. And she says it all the time. She's like, These, like if I was going away for two weeks or if I was going away for a month or even two days, this is like the, the least amount of stuff I can bring. It just, I have to bring all this stuff. And it's just interesting to me that the idea of what is essential can look different to different people. And sometimes when I look at some of the stuff that Holly has packed, I think that's not essential. Like, why are you lugging that around with you? That's not exactly what you need. And it made me think, especially with Christians, especially with people of, that are followers of Jesus, there are things that we pack into this idea of our essentials. Now, I believe that everything that we believe is super, super important. But the reason we're looking at this idea of essentials is because these are certain things that we have to fall in line with. These are the things you don't really want to be finding yourself on the outside of. So if I say some things that you may be like, oh, I'm not sure about that. Like, I want to encourage you to read. Because the whole thrust of this series is based on a thing called the Nicene Creed, which is essentially a big summary of the Christian faith that has stood the test of time over generations and generations of people. This is like the core fundamental beliefs of Christianity. 
So when we often as Christians, we pack other things into it and we add these other ideas and other understandings that can sometimes actually weigh us down. When God is calling us to grow in our understanding in some areas and he's calling us into, into a new revelation of who he is and maybe he's going to challenge some of the beliefs about some of the other things. And maybe you're packing them into the essentials and thinking, I can't change any of this stuff. Well, I wanted to do this series to outline these are the essentials and everything else we need to study and read and learn and grow. But these are the things that have always stood the test of time. These are the attributes of God and of Jesus and of the Holy Spirit. And what is the church about? And what is salvation? All these things, this is the core of our faith. So we're going to jump into it today. We are going to look at salvation because we hear this thrown around a lot. What does it mean to be saved? What is salvation? Like, let's talk about the essential beliefs of salvation. So before we jump into this, I want to talk about this mathematical term called a parabola. Now, I read this a couple of years ago, maybe four or five years ago. And as I was reading around it, I always pronounce it a parabola. Because when you're reading, like no one tells you how to pronounce things. So it was only until today, I suddenly thought, you know what? I'm just going to I'm just going to YouTube how you're supposed to say this. And apparently I've been saying it wrong for a long time. So anyway, put simple, a parabola is a curve. And in maths, it is a, a curve that is like completely symmetrical. And it goes from one point down back up to another point. Sounds very simple, yet super complex. I'm not going to go into the details. But the way I want to present the fundamental, the essentials around salvation is in this idea of a parabolic curve. Now, the idea of this parabolic curve is every single point along this curve has what's called salvific significance. Now, that just means it's super important for salvation. Now, in this idea of this curve, it's kind of a journey, this parabolic journey that Jesus takes. So to kind of summarize it, and then we're going to jump into each point and look, why is this important to us? Why is this important for us to believe? So if you imagine this parabolic curve, this parabola, we're going to go, it starts at the top. So God in heaven who sends Jesus down to earth and then Jesus lives a human life, but he dies. So then he descends and then he raises again and then he ascends back to heaven. Okay, so it's this from heaven to heaven, this parabola. Okay, not a parabola, a parabola. So this is the journey we're going to look at this morning. Like I said, each point along this. So Jesus being sent, Jesus living a human life, Jesus dying, being buried, Jesus' bodily resurrection, and then Jesus' bodily ascension. Okay, each point along this parabola has salvific significance. It is important. We have to understand it. So let's jump into the very first point on this, is that God sent Jesus. Okay, God came after humanity. This is, we're going we're gonna to again look at the self-definition of God in this. So using these passages that are going to be, they're going to speak directly into this. So this isn't my theory. This isn't someone's theory. This is the word of God speaking into these points of salvation. So God came after humanity. God sent Jesus to the earth. Let's look at it. A very popular, famous verse. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So let's look at this. God sent Jesus. Okay, we looked last week about Jesus being, being in nature God, but in person, the Son of God. So Jesus being in person, the Son of God, was sent. Okay, and he was sent on a mission. 
And this mission was to rescue the creation, his creation. Okay, so God sent himself to come after humanity. I often say this. This is what's so special about the Christian faith. God came after you and me. Okay, he came on a rescue mission after you and me. Let's keep going. John 6:38. This is Jesus' own words. He says, For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him that sent me. So talking about God the Father. So this is this idea, this beginning of this curve, that God sent Jesus down to put on skin and bones and to move into the neighborhood. To, to put on flesh, to step into time, to step into his creation, to humble himself, to pour himself out. God sent himself. I love this, not to do his own will, but to do the will of God. Okay, Jesus came, but Jesus had a mission. Jesus was sent on a mission, a rescue mission for you and for me. So, so what? So why is this important on this, on this level? What does this mean to me and you? You know what it means to me and you is that Jesus stepped into his creation. And there's levels to this. That means Jesus also steps in to the messiness, steps into the brokenness. So for you and for me, on a daily basis, we need to understand that God is not a God that removes himself from your everyday. He is not a God that will pull himself out of like the nuanced, messy craziness of life, but actually in his very own character, he sent himself into the messiness. So in your life, when you experience all this craziness, confusion, complexity, the, the kind of whirlwind of life and pain and, and the depths of darkness that sometimes some of us live on a daily basis, God is there with you. Because God sent himself into his own creation to redeem it. And that is who he is. Jesus stepped into his own creation and this matters because that means he's in every little detail with us. So if you're facing something this morning, Maybe you're feeling like you're on your own. Maybe you've got some family issues. Maybe you've got some relationship issues. Maybe you're in some financial difficulty. Maybe this whole idea of lockdown and the coronavirus is just causing you to feel heavy and down and a little bit broken. Well, I want to encourage you this morning that it is in our God's nature that he sent himself to be part of our everyday. That he sent himself so that he could walk and live every day with us, that whatever we encounter, whatever we face, he is with us. God came after humanity. So that is the first part of this salvation curve. God came after humanity, came down. The second thing is that Jesus lived a human life. Jesus, I've written down, Jesus purified and exemplified the human experience. Okay, Jesus, we looked at this a little bit last week about this word recapitulation. Jesus did humanity again, but he did it right. Jesus embodied all of what humanity was supposed to be, and he did it properly. Let's look at this, Hebrews 2, 17 to 18. I love this, that Jesus lived a human life. So often we don't think about this, that when we, we think about Jesus, we think about like the big grand stories of miracles and we think about the craziness that God put on skin and bones and walked on, on this very earth in time. Yet sometimes we just miss out on the idea that Jesus lived a human life. He was tired, he ate, he grew. He got to meet new people, 
Now, obviously, this idea of God changing, God does not change. So remember, Jesus is one person with two natures. The God nature in Jesus did not change, but the human nature in Jesus grew and experienced and and probably felt some experience of human pain because he was fully human. So think about this. That is crazy in itself that our God experienced life as we experience life. Now, maybe different culture, different time, all that sort of stuff. But Jesus walked on this earth. Listen to this. Hebrews 2, 17 to 18 says this. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way. In order that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Verse 18 says, because he himself suffered When he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted also. Hey, what does this mean? It's saying that Jesus stepped into time and he was, his human nature was tempted. He experienced the feeling of temptation. He lived a human experience. Why is this important for us? Well, the passage tells us because then he is able to help those who are in that very situation. Why is this important for our lives? Why is this important for salvation? Jesus purified and demonstrated and exemplified human experience. Okay, he did it again and he did it right. So that means every day, you and I, we know that our God has literally experienced what it is we have experienced. That he can understand you in a way that no one else can. Maybe you're facing a situation in your own life and you think like, I'm on my own. Like no one has ever experienced this before. I just feel like no one can help me. I just feel like it's too complicated and it's too nuanced. And how can I do this on my own? People just don't understand. Well, guess what? We have a God who understands. Like we have a God who who walked on this earth and experienced life. Experienced the deep darkness of pain and of fear. And when Jesus was sat in the garden before he was crucified, it said he was sweating blood. He was anxious. He was in a place. His body was under immense stress. His human nature was torn. He can experience and empathize with your pain. He is God. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows everything in between. He knows you better than you know yourself. But you need to know this as well. Our God stepped into time and experienced human life. Whatever you are going through, Jesus understands. My my encouragement to you this morning is whatever it is you have going on in your life, whatever it is that you just feel like no one can understand, take it to him. Take it to him and just watch the peace that floods into your life. This is important. This idea of this curve, Jesus came down. He lived a human life. That means he understands us. I think this is huge. Like the miracles and all of the the amazing, amazing things that Jesus did are incredible. But one of the most profound things about Jesus is that he understands what we go through. Like our God understands what it feels like to be tempted. If you're facing temptation in your life, listen to that Hebrews verse. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So Jesus came down, Jesus lived a human life. But then let's look at this, Jesus died on a cross. This is central, this is central 
to this part in this curve, okay? So Jesus died on the cross. There are two parts we need to understand about the idea of the cross is the death and the burial, okay? The death and the burial. The idea of the cross is that we are made right with God, that we are brought close to God again. So every single one of us was born sinful. We were born, we fall short. We don't, we don't have what it takes to be enough for God, okay? Let's look at this in 1 Peter 3.18. I love this verse. It says, that's what Christ did. This is in the message version, sorry. That's what Christ did definitively. Suffered because of others' sins. The righteous one for the unrighteous ones. He went through it all, was put to death, and then made alive. Why? To bring us to God. To bring us to God. I love this. That the righteous one for the unrighteous ones. Jesus took our place. In Romans 6, it says the wages of sin is death. When we as as humanity turned our back, back in Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, when we turned our back in God and we said, God, ah, we can do this on our own. We don't need you. We don't need you. We don't need this relationship. We can do it on our own. When, when we turned our back on God, we severed the relationship. We lost who we were designed to be. And there was distance between us and our creator. There was distance between in a relationship between us and God. We, we severed the connection. So Jesus is sent. He lives this human life. And his mission was this cross. He gets to the cross. They put nails through his hands and his feet. And they string him up on a cross to be humiliated, to be beaten, to be stabbed, to be mocked by everyone. You think you're going to save anyone? And in this moment where Jesus was hung there and it looked like he was like one of the biggest moments of weakness for anyone. It was actually one of the biggest demonstrations of God's strength is that he humbled himself and hung on a cross thinking of all of humanity. Jesus made a way for us to get back to the Father, to reestablish that relationship, to reestablish that connection. And as he hung on the cross, he died and he said, it is finished. And then they buried him. Okay, this is a really important, important part of this curve. They buried him. So at the very middle of this parabola, this par- uh, parabolic curve, this every single point that has significant uh, part to play in salvation, this middle part is where Jesus is buried. Okay, he is put in the ground. He's put in a tomb. You do not put living people in a tomb. At least you're not supposed to put living people in a tomb. You don't bury living people. Okay, Jesus was, his body was dead. This moment where the world was just quiet and dark. And Jesus lay buried. We need to understand this is is super important. The wages of sin are death. Jesus was buried and is this huge visual demonstration that Jesus' body, the sacrifice he gave for us, was dead and buried. It looked like it was over. It looked like it was done. So let's look at this in Ephesians 2, 2, 13. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. So the thing we need to understand about the cross is that when in that moment when Jesus was buried, he was, he was led in the ground. It was, everything was done. The, the sacrifice had been made. 
there had been what was called atonement for sin. The cross was about atonement. Atonement just means paying for or making right or kind of like restoring something that had kind of been lost, been paid for. When Jesus died, sin had been paid for. We had all the stuff that we did wrong, all of the things that we were supposed to pay for. Romans 6 says the wages of sin are death. So Jesus paid for that. Done. Put his credit card on the table and said, done, I'll pay for it all. And he he led in a tomb for our sake. Dead, buried, done. The cross offers atonement for sin. So what does this mean? What does this mean for us? It seems pretty glum, like... Jesus is dead. Jesus is done. He's led in the ground. Like, why are, you, why are you holding on to this for so long? Why just move on? Get to the resurrection. Get to the, the, the joyful bit. But I want to just hold on this idea of burial for a second. I want us to understand that Jesus led in darkness for three days. Why? So me and you could have forgiveness from sin. Every single one of us falls short on a daily basis. You know it sat right there listening. I know it stood here speaking. Every single one of us is riddled with sin. We, every day we turn our back on God, whether it's pride or whether it's lust or whether it's stealing or just sin that entangles us in our life. From the day we were born until the day we are dying, till the day we die, we will sin. But Jesus led in darkness so that we could have forgiveness of sin. So that those wages that we owed God because we turned our back on him, had been paid. Jesus died and paid on our behalf. That means all of your sin, all of your shame, all of your guilt, all of that heaviness and brokenness that you feel right now, Jesus has paid for it. You might be sat here thinking, but he doesn't know me. You don't know my story. You don't know what I've done. You don't know really just quite how bad I've been. Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. Okay? He's the only one who knows you on a level like this. And yet he still forgives you. Not because of anything you've done, but because of everything he's done. Not because of anything you can do or anything in your life that you could work out. But because of everything he did in that moment where he hung on the cross and he was buried and dead. He paid for you and for me so we can experience forgiveness, freedom from sin. Jesus offered a way for us, that connection for us to be connected back to God, like in Peter. He was put to death and then made alive to bring us to God. Jesus came down. He lived a human life. He died and was buried. And then the curve begins to rise. This is, this is the joyful moment. This is, this is one of my favorite parts of this curve. The curve begins to rise. Let's look at this. God resurrected Jesus bodily form from the grave. This is important. Okay, because there's been some things over church history that, that would say Jesus resurrected in spirit. Or Jesus came back in a different form. But we believe fundamentally that Jesus' dead body... The one buried, the one that was dead and gone, three days. God breathed life back into this body and Jesus walked out of that tomb. Three days later, God resurrected Jesus. Let's look at this in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 8. 
It says Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and then he was buried, and, that he, and then he was raised up on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at once, the majority of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. That's like a side point. <laughs> um, some of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, then he appeared to all the apostles, and last of all, as it were to one born at the wrong time, he appeared also to me. Now that sounded complicated. I wanted to just nip through, but listen, this is the fundamental bit. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried. And then he was raised up on the third day according to the scriptures. And then it documents all these people that saw the bodily resurrected Jesus. Now, have you ever thought about this? This is a side point. Have you ever thought about this when it comes to like the validity of Christianity? That actually, if this was just some big perceived myth, or if this was something that didn't really happen, and the disciples were like, boys, he's not coming back. You know what we need to do? Let's tell everyone he did, and that should do it. Okay, so this passage says that there was like 500 people, plus the apostles, plus Paul, like the experience that witnessed Jesus in bodily form. Okay, now all these people begin to start sharing. He actually came back. He actually came back from the dead. They've seen the scars. They've seen what's happened. And then Christianity started spreading like wildfire. And the apostles were all put to death for what they believed in. They were martyred. They were tortured. Some were hung upside down. Some were beheaded. You're telling me that all of these disciples and a lot of these people were martyred because they wanted to spread this thing? Or are you telling me they were so transformed by the bodily resurrection of Jesus that they were willing to go and die for what they believed? I'll leave that one to you, but I just think it's interesting. So Jesus resurrected. The curve begins to rise. Listen to this, Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. It says, but because of his great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. I love this because we believe that Jesus resurrected from the grave and in doing so, he trampled on death. There's a passage in the Bible that says, death no longer has any mastery over Jesus. It's like he walked out of the grave. Even the thing that is so final apparently to humans is death. Okay, something that just happens. It's kind of like a lot of people are fearful of dying. Jesus beat death. Not even death could hold him down. And in doing so, he trampled on sin and shame and guilt and the enemy and the schemes of the enemy and all principalities and powers and anything in this earth. Jesus rules over them all because he came back in bodily form. He resurrected from the grave. Now, that's what we believe. But why does it matter? What, what does this mean? Well, the, the cross, like we said, it redeemed us. The cross kind of brought us back to relationship with God. It paid for all that we have done wrong in the past and all we will do wrong in the future. But the resurrection, the resurrection does something special. The resurrection actually allows us to have future. The resurrection gives us a hope and a future. 
This is so encouraging to me. When I say the curve begins to rise, let me say this. Our God, it's his speciality is bringing things that were dead back to life. So whatever you are facing in your life right now, can I say there is a hope and a future because our God is a God that redeems and restores, but not just redeems and restores, but elevates. As the curve begins to rise, I believe in your life, there are some things where the curve is going to begin to rise. Why? Because that is what our God does. That is who he is. That is so central to our faith. Whether it's a relationship, a marriage, whether it's some financial difficulties or health, whether it's just a feeling in your spirit where you just can't seem to get over this thing that is holding you back, let me encourage you that God will do something in your life where he can resurrect the brokenness. He will bring things that are broken, he will restore them and he will elevate them. He will take things that look like they are dead and buried and he will bring them back to life because that's who he is. I believe in your life right now, there are some things where the curve is going to begin to rise again. I love it. The resurrection, we have to understand how central the resurrection is to our faith. We talk about the cross. The cross buys us back. It brings us our freedom from sin. But the resurrection gives us this this mastery over sin. It gives us this hope of a future. And it gives us the idea that there is life beyond what we can see. That is a hope for eternity. So if you're listening and you're just thinking, life just hasn't turned out how I expected. Or we serve a God who specializes in bringing dead things back to life. And he can do it for you right now. So Jesus came down. He lived a human life. He died and he was buried and then he was resurrected. His body in bodily form. And finally, Jesus, where this is where the curve reaches back to the top. Jesus ascended back to heaven. Hebrews 12 2 says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God on the throne. So this is demonstrating here that Jesus ascended back into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is God and he is in heaven. He ascended to heaven. Now, why why does this matter to us? Why is this so important for us as Christians to believe this? How does this affect us? It affects us because we know that He is God and He is seated above everything. He sees everything. He is in control of everything. That does not mean He controls everything, but it means He is in control no matter what it is you are facing. Our God is seated in heaven in power and in glory. And he wants to know you. That whole journey, that whole parabola, that every single point of that, he did it to redeem you and restore you and make you the person that he designed you to be. In 1 Timothy 3.16, this kind of summarizes what we've been looking at today. This is kind of an essential verse to kind of paint that picture. It says, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and then taken up in glory. This idea of this curve, he did it for you and for me. So that is the story of salvation. That is our essentials. That is what we believe about salvation. 
We've heard the story. We've heard that Jesus did this so that we could experience freedom and forgiveness of our sin. So now what? Well, the choice is ours. The choice is yours this morning. You heard that Jesus did all this for you. And in Galatians, Galatians 5, it says that for, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Okay? We think, well, for freedom. Yeah, it's like sitting in a jail cell with the door open. Okay? Jesus paid for it and he, he made a way for that door to be flung open. So many of us just sit in the jail cell, living our life caged and just not being the people we were designed to be. Entangled by shame, entangled by fear, entangled by guilt. But it was for freedom that Jesus went on that rescue mission. The choice is yours this morning. What are you going to do? Are you going to walk out that door? Are you going to cross that line of faith this morning? Are you going to make a decision in yourself? You may have made this decision before. You may have said to Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my everything. I'm sorry for the sin. I'm sorry for all the stuff that I've done. And I accept what you did on the cross. Thank you for coming on that rescue mission. But maybe you've realized this morning that you're just sat in a cage. And the door's wide open, but you've been living there for a long time. Today is going to be a day where you're going to finally make that step. Maybe for the first time. Maybe you've never crossed that line. Maybe you've never experienced relationship with Jesus. Relationship with the one who went on that rescue mission for you. Today could be a day that changes your life forever. All you've got to do is pray that simple prayer. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I take all of my brokenness, all of my mistakes, all of my future, all of my dreams, everything. I, I bundle it up and I just give it to you. Jesus, I give you my life. And today will be a day that changes your life forever. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for this amazing story of salvation. God, we just thank you that you are a God that has come after us. That you made a way for us to get back to you. That you didn't just leave us isolated and broken, but that you gave us an opportunity to restore our relationship with you. God, we just want to worship you for that this morning. I pray for every single person that crossed that line of faith today, that said they gave you their entire life, all of their future and all of their past, all of their dreams and all of their mistakes. God, we just thank you that you will welcome them in with open arms. Holy Spirit, would you flood their life right now? Would you make that salvation story so real in their bones right now? God, we thank you for all you are doing in this church at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, we want to celebrate with you. We want to champion you. Today is going to be a day where it will change your life forever. I guarantee it. So if you have, would you get in touch with us? We'll, uh, we'll show you some next steps just in a few moments of how you can get in touch. But it's been so good to spend these moments together today. I'm loving this series, Essentials. If you've not caught up so far, I encourage you, go back and catch up. But let's look. Next week, we're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm excited. So we love you. We're praying for you. Thank you for joining us this morning. And we will see you same time, same place next week. You've been listening to a weekly message from Light Church. If you would like any more information, you can find us online or on social media. Thanks for listening.